Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Outer and Lower Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In today's edition, Beth Dunn has an update on the ongoing saga of voter registration and fall special town meeting in Truro, and she shares her enthusiasm for this weekend's East Ham Turnip Festival. I've got stories about a new treasurer in Wellfleet and the removal of the chief medical officer from his job at Outer Cape Health, and Ira Wood is here to address the question of who's happier. Cat people or dog people? There might be a light at the end of the tunnel in Truro as the town continues to address challenges to newly registered voters prior to a special town meeting that has been delayed three times. After four days of hearings last week, 35 of the 66 people whose voter registrations were challenged are no longer on the Truro voter rolls. 21 of the 35 switched their voter registrations out of Truro voluntarily. The other 14 were removed from the rolls by the Board of Registrars following public hearings. The town issued a press release on Monday announcing that the special town meeting originally scheduled for October 21st would be postponed to November 28th at 5.30 p.m. at the Truro Central School. The meeting was first continued by the town moderator to November 2nd and then to November 16th. The press release also says that this will likely be the last time the meeting date will be changed. This latest delay will allow the registrars to hear two administrative appeals from voters who have been struck from the rolls. Of the 14 voters removed by the registrars, 10 did not show up for their hearing, nor did they have a family member show up in their place. An 11th registrant who was removed, Rosemary Boyle, was represented by her ex-husband. According to town manager Darren Tangeman, Boyle is one of the two voters who have appealed the registrar's decision. She was allowed an appeal because she wasn't physically present during her hearing. Rose Bayani is the other registrant who was removed from the voter rolls and has decided to appeal her case. Like Boyle, Bayani claims a residential tax exemption at her home in Boston. According to the complaint filed against her by Raphael Richter, Bayani is also not on the Truro Street listing, does not pay vehicle excise tax in town, and does pay personal property tax, which is assessed only on non-residents. According to an October 10th memo from town council, no single piece of evidence is decisive in determining a person's domicile. Relevant facts include where a person's income taxes are filed, the location of their bank accounts, and religious, social, and political affiliations, such as clubs, board positions, membership and associations, and involvement in municipal activities. Tangeman said Tuesday that the town intends to hear Bayani's and Boyle's appeals either today, Friday, November 17th, or Monday, November 20th. An additional four voters were challenged by Monica Kraft and John Slater. All four challenges will result in hearings. 
Because those challenges were filed after October 17th, town meeting will not have to wait for those decisions, Tangeman said, based on town council's advice. Still, the town plans to hold those hearings as soon as possible. The hearings come three months after the Truro Part-Time Residents Taxpayers Association emailed its members in August, encouraging them to change their voter registration to Truro so they could vote in the since-rescheduled October 21st special town meeting. When convened, the special town meeting will consider competing proposals for a new Department of Public Works facility, at a cost of up to $35 million, and a housing proposal to build 160 affordable units on a 70-acre plot near Truro Central School, known as the Walsh property. With discussions about the political representation of part-time residents, the talk of the town, the Truro Select Board voted unanimously on November 14th to establish a part-time residence advisory committee. The agenda item, presented by board member Stephanie Rain, represented an effort to provide a public forum for part-time residents and property owners to make recommendations to the select board and other elected and appointed bodies. Rain noted that a similar committee had existed in town before but represented only property owners. This iteration will also represent part-time resident renters. The board agreed that the committee will meet quarterly at a minimum and that it will include the town manager as an ex-officio member. The new committee is also charged with working with the select board to hold an annual part-time residence meeting. The committee will consist of seven part-time Truro residents who will be appointed by the select board. With the closing of Terra Luna and the announcement that Montano's is on the market, another North Truro business appears set to change hands in the near future. Chiquesset Chocolate and all its possessions are for sale. The bean-to-bar operation, including its equipment and building, are on the market and will stay there until the right buyer comes along, according to Catherine Reed, who co-founded the business in 2014 with Josiah Mayo. The asking price is $1.05 million. Originally from Portland, Oregon, Reed moved to Truro in 2008, took a job with the National Park Service, and also cooked at Terra Luna. Over nearly a decade, Chiquesset Chocolate has become a beloved local fixture, blending a homespun vibe with international sophistication. In the craft chocolate world, their approach is called bean to bar because they are committed to ethical sourcing and sustainable small batch production. Reed and Mayo say that when the right new owners come along, there won't be a full team turnover, as many current staff members have expressed an interest in sticking around. In the summer, as many as 30 people work for Chiquesset. That includes people operating the cafe and the ice cream and smoothie truck. In the off-season, the staff numbers about eight. After a decade of growth, Chiquesset's manufacturing space can process up to 20 tons of cacao per year, with room to scale up. Reed says she hopes to pursue a degree at Johns Hopkins and become a therapist. Reed and Mayo agree that the business has a bright future, and the right buyer could bring the brand to a whole other level of sophistication. More than three years after purchasing Sipson Island in Pleasant Bay, members of the Sipson Island Trust last week saw their vision of the island's future start to come to life. 
equipment was brought to the island as three pre-existing single-family homes were set to be demolished to make way for efforts to rewild 22 acres and return it to its natural state. The trust raised about $5 million to purchase the island in July 2020. It has stewardship over 22 of the island's 24 acres, and all of the acreage is now under a conservation restriction. Removal of the three homes and their accompanying septic systems is central to the trust's efforts. Prior to the demolition, a controlled burn was held to rid the area around the homes of invasive plantings and materials. Demolition of the homes was expected to begin on Monday, and the work is likely to continue into January. Once the homes are raised and the materials removed, work to remove invasive species and bring native plantings to the island will begin. Rewilding work on the central portion of the island in the area of the three homes is expected to be complete by June. While that work is ongoing, recreational access to the island's system of trails and paths will be closed. The Trust anticipates reopening the island by the end of the year. In the long term, the Trust believes the rewilding effort will allow not only enhanced recreational use of the island, but also educational uses by local groups and nonprofits. The group intends to make the island a model for similar rewilding efforts in other places, as well as a locus for marine science and education, and a place for the entire community to enjoy. To find out more about Sipson Island and the ongoing work of the Sipson Island Trust, you can visit sipsonislandtrust.org. The staff of the Eastham Public Library isn't letting the ongoing renovations at Nauset Regional High School stop them from hosting the annual Eastham Turnip Festival this weekend. The festival is celebrating 20 years of honoring Eastham's beloved root vegetable, with events at various locations around town on Saturday, November 18th, including the Orleans Farmer's Market, which will be selling this year's turnips. The Turnip Festival has always been held the Saturday before Thanksgiving, which is about the time when turnips are harvested. After getting its start at the Chapel in the Pines, the event grew to find a home at the Nosset High School. With the renovation project at the school, organizers have needed to adapt again. Taste of Turnip Day, the festival's culinary event, celebrates the creations of local restaurants, with a festival promoting any restaurant that puts something with turnip on their menu. This year, nearly 30 restaurants will take part in Taste of Turnip Day. Turnip-themed events on Saturday will take place at Chapel in the Pines, the East Ham Public Library, the Swift Daily House, and the Schoolhouse Museum. The turnip-filled day of fun will feature live music, a magic show, a guess-the-weight turnip competition, and even a blessing of the turnips from former WOMR Executive Director Bob C. The East Ham Turnip Festival is from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. November 18th and is free to attend. You can get more information and plan your celebration of all things turnip by visiting EastHamTurnipFestival.com. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn.
Monday's special town meeting in Brewster voted to indefinitely postpone two articles that would have required short-term rental operators to register with the town and comply with a set of regulations on parking, occupancy, and trash removal. The second article would have limited ownership of short-term rentals to two for a Brewster resident and to one for non-residents. All of the warrants remaining articles passed in Brewster. Short-term rentals are units and homes that are rented for less than 30 days at a time, often to vacationers. The articles to regulate such rentals in Brewster were filed as citizen petitions by Matilda Delano. In recent years, the number of such units has gone up, Officially, 15% of Brewster's housing stock is used as short-term rentals. After seeing Chatham, Orleans, Eastham, and Provincetown put regulations in place, Delano thought Brewster could benefit from tracking short-term rentals. She said the money generated by the registration fee could pay for the staff and other expenses associated with the program. At the advice of the town council, Language in both articles was revised, and Delano introduced the amended language from the floor. The Finance Committee voted 8-0 to zero against both articles. The Select Board and the Finance Committee both argued that the issue needs closer analysis and careful crafting of policy. Town leaders and some voters expressed concern about amendments added to the proposal that were presented on handouts at the meeting. A motion to indefinitely postpone was made, and after more discussion, that motion passed. Indefinite postponement allows a revised article to be brought back before town meeting at a future date. Wellfleet has a new town treasurer after the previous treasurer resigned in June. Town Administrator Rich Waldo has hired Jared Aponte who comes to the job with almost a decade of municipal finance experience, including jobs as treasurer, collector, assessor, and finance director. The catch is that Aponte will be working from Lemonster. Waldo told the select board last week that Aponte will commute one day a week to work at Town Hall, but will otherwise work remotely. During high-demand moments such as budgeting season, Aponte will be in town up to three days a week. The hire comes after the finance department had been operating for months without a permanent treasurer. Waldo hired Alex Williams in June after Cameron Scott resigned, but Williams has been working for the town in addition to a job as full-time treasurer for Georgetown. He expected a short stint as an interim appointment, and he's been on the job for four or five months now. Select board members understood that a hybrid work model would have to suffice for now. Board member Ryan Curley said that although it would be better for someone to be in town full-time, the hiring conditions make that a difficult proposition. In other news from Wellfleet Town Hall, Waldo has offered Angelo Salamone the building commissioner position. If Salamone takes the job, the town will have filled all the critical department head positions except in accounting, which the town has been contracting to a private firm. 
The hires come after a slew of resignations emptied Town Hall of many key positions this summer. Waldo said the town can now focus on hiring newly created positions, such as wastewater superintendent, a position approved at the April Town meeting, and town planner, which townspeople said yes to at the September special town meeting. Staff changes are also afoot at Outer Cape Health Services, as Dr. Andrew Jorgensen was removed from his job as chief medical officer last month, and as of last week was no longer employed by the health center. His departure followed reports of the alleged abuses of four J-1 visa students this summer from Jorgensen's husband, Paul Schofield, as tenants and workers at the couple's multiple properties. A one-sentence email to the Provincetown Independent from Outer Cape Health Services CEO Patricia Nadel, dated November 14th, said Jorgensen is no longer with Outer Cape Health Services. Nadel did not respond to follow-up questions about the reason for Jorgensen's departure. A source close to the matter said that Outer Cape Health employees received an email on October 19th stating that Jorgensen was relieved of his leadership responsibilities at Outer Cape Health and that he was formally terminated on November 9th. Written communication has not been sent to employees regarding Jorgensen's termination, according to the source. Jorgensen did not respond to a request for comment from the Independent. He was placed on leave just prior to the Independent report detailing the treatment for Bulgarian students said they experienced while working and living at Schofield and Jorgensen's properties in Provincetown. The Cape Symphony is warning patrons about fraudulent tickets being sold on third-party websites. Amy Medeiros, box office manager for the symphony, told the Cape Cod Times that resale websites are selling fraudulent tickets from an unknown seller. The symphony does not sell tickets to third-party sites and only sells its tickets at capesymphony.org. Medeiros said the sites are legitimate ticket resellers, but someone must have sneakily sold them bogus tickets. The tickets are for several shows, including The James Bond Experience, The Magic of Mozart, and Holiday on the Cape. Prominent resale site Vivid Seats was on a list that included Concert Fix, Ticket Smarter, Event Ticket Center, Tons of Tickets, and Star Tickets. Medeiros first became aware of the fake tickets last Saturday. She reported the incident to the Barnstable Police and the FBI on Monday and issued a warning via email to the patron database and on social media on Tuesday. Holders of fraudulent tickets will not be granted access to symphony events. If you believe you have fraudulent tickets, the symphony recommends you report the transaction to your bank and report the fraud to the Barnstable Police Department. In an attempt to keep patrons from being scammed, the symphony reminds customers that the symphony does not sell electronic or print-at-home tickets. All symphony tickets are printed at the box office and mailed to customers, held at will call, or handed out in person. Tickets for shows for the 23-24 season are cost-dependent 
on the section. There are no general admission tickets. Each ticket has an assigned section, row, and seat number. Following your purchase, the symphony will send you a confirmation email from their box office email address signed by Medeiros. There's a big feature this week in the Cape Cod Times about Provincetown artist Salvatore Del Deo as the show of his work at the Provincetown Art Association and Museum. Salvatore Del Deo, 75 years in Provincetown, remains open through November 26th. At 95 years old, Sal has become one of Provincetown's greats. Through his art, he's captured the changing social landscape of what was once a Portuguese fishing town. As a student at the Vesper George School of Art in Boston, famed Cape Cod painter Henry Henschey taught a painting demonstration for his class. Following the demonstration, Sal asked Henschey if he had a school. Henschey said he did, in a place called Provincetown. The Cape Cod School of Art would be Sal's home for the following three summers, where he would learn from Henschey about his way of painting, largely influenced by Charles Hawthorne. From there, Del Deo would leave town for New York and the Art Students League, only to return and set down roots. In the years that followed, the town has seen him run two successful restaurants, launch the Fine Arts Work Center with fellow artists, assist his wife Josephine in her work creating the Cape Cod National Seashore, and build and almost lose his dune shack, among other things. But above all, Sal was, and still is, the painter of Provincetown. In light of his milestone, the Provincetown Art Association and Museum debuted Salvatore Del Deo, 75 Years in Provincetown, curated by Executive Director Christine McCarthy, for her 2023 Director's Choice show. Over a year and a half of visits to Sal's studio, McCarthy worked to create a show that displayed snapshots of Sal's Provincetown throughout the years. Sal said McCarthy did a wonderful job, but he'd like to see a show of the conceptual works he's producing now before he goes. Sal plans to keep painting, saying that if he can stay healthy, his best is yet to come. You can see Salvatore Del Deo, 75 years in Provincetown, through November 26th at Provincetown Art Association and Museum at 460 Commercial Street. And find more information and see some of the images at paam.org. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. own a cat or a dog? I ask because there's a new study out that compares the happiness level of cat lovers versus dog lovers, and the results may very well surprise you. I should admit, first of all, that I'm a sucker for happiness studies, mainly because they disprove so many of the lies we're fed by our consumer economy which is based on convincing us there's something wrong with us so that we buy stuff to make it right. 
Everyone who's reached a certain age knows that McMansions, luxury cars, and facelifts don't make us substantially happier as we get older. But the longest happiness study ever conducted tells us what does. It's friendships, partnerships, and relationships. To paraphrase the old Barbara Streisand song, people who need people are the happiest people in the world. And you can up your level of happiness by having pets, especially dogs and cats, which can reduce stress, anxiety, depression, ease loneliness, and help us live longer lives. But is having one better than the other? According to the study, it's dogs, which totally is not what I thought. Last time I had a dog, I was living in Cambridge with my first girlfriend after college. We were part of a clique of about four young couples, all of whom not only had dogs, but the same kind of dog from the same breeder and all from the same bloodline. We had dinners with the dogs and vacationed with the dogs and twice every day took the dogs for a run in a neglected neighborhood park we called Dog Crap Park where we stood around complaining about our lives while watching the dogs playing and jumping and humping one another which none of us couples were doing very much of. It was a miserable time of my young life, which is why I was surprised by a study in Frontiers in Psychology magazine announcing that dog owners have higher self-esteem than cat owners. Why? It turns out that dog ownership is more strongly associated with increased physical activity. Since dogs are bundles of energy, they need regular exercise. This means dog owners are more likely to stay active, which is a well-known booster for mental health and general well-being. Dogs obviously require their owners to get out of the house, where they see old friends and meet new people, where their shared love for dogs becomes an instant conversation starter, leading to the formation of social bonds and a sense of belonging. Cat owners scored higher in a test for reasoning and general intelligence. Plus, they also proved better at abstract thought, self-reliance, and open-mindedness, while dog owners were more agreeable and less neurotic. Dog owners were also found to be more extroverted, which is another indicator of well-being. One study in Germany reported that dog dads showed higher levels of confidence because they perceived their relationship to their dogs to be part of a pack and themselves as the leader, not to mention the relationships they formed with other dog owners when they're out for a walk. On the other hand, female cat owners showed low self-esteem and were often stereotyped as recluses or cat ladies who were disconnected from society. So, what's the verdict? Even the researchers admit that it's not that straightforward. While it is true 
that dog owners are forced into happiness-promoting situations by the very nature of owning animals that need to go outside to poop. Cat owners revel in the attention of these independent creatures who purr to demonstrate affection, curl up in their laps, bring them presents, nudge their faces, signal their emotions with their tails, and show trust by exposing their bellies. Living as I do with three cats, I do take comfort in various studies that say cat people tend to be better educated, more likely to stand up for what they believe in, and less conscious of other people's opinions. But does that make me happy? Obviously not. For that, I'd have to get a dog. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Stirred Not Shaken with Hank and Andy on listener-supported community radio, WOMR. Mm-hmm.